Hello, everyone. I'm Frieza Balstoon. And I'm Kay Jabelli, and this is Monopoly Attack. Last week, we talked a bit about the background leading up to the EU's Revolutionary Digital Markets Act proposal and the companies it could apply to, including some disagreement about the impact of regulatory ambiguity and how the rules would be applied. Yeah, that got pretty heated, but we had some time to cool off. So in this episode, we'll dive into the substance of those prohibitions and obligations of the DMA, which can be found in Articles 5 and 6. What do you make of those obligations, Kay? I mean, looking at them, you can kind of categorize them in a couple of different ways. Let's look first at some of the ones that are kind of meant to address market failures, only to say that normally when you have a regulation to address a market failure, it would be a horizontal regulation. So it would apply across the industry. But these only apply to a handful of companies that are active in that industry. So you're not really addressing a market failure. You're just addressing the biggest players in that market where there is a failure, though, If you're talking about something like uh, digital advertising, if you consider that a market that lacks transparency, then imposing these obligations on Facebook and Google would get a long way (laughs) way there in the market to begin with. I guess, you know, with the horizontal scope, I guess it depends a bit on the nature of the market failure as well. Of course, I mean, the commission is all made difficult by the fact that it's not a competitional instrument. But I mean, market power is one market failure, obviously. So in that sense, if you'd want to restrict the obligations like those of Article 102 to dominant players, that would make sense. But the problem here is that the DMA doesn't work with the, those kinds of terms. So yeah, it's a market failure that applies to large companies, but not strictly dominant companies. It's, no, it's tough semantically. They have obligation on price transparency and ad intermediation performance metrics and digital advertising. There's also one that's commonly referenced when they talk about how these are all common sense rules is the prohibition on forced arbitration, which it is pretty common sense. If you're a (laughs) seller in Germany using a marketplace, you shouldn't have to arbitrate a dispute with that marketplace in Luxembourg or Amsterdam or wherever, you know, it's headquartered. If you're in Germany, you should be able to access Uh, justice locally, so to say. So I think that last one, I don't think it's controversial. And it's one of the very easy examples, but they're a little bit more complicated. Right, right. And then with that forced arbitration prohibition, we see the first overlap with competition law, because I believe the German competition authority, when looking at the terms and conditions of Amazon, singled that one out as potentially abusive. And then, of course, Amazon committed to drop those before it reached a decision. But you're right, it only gets more difficult from here. Uh, And then we have the group of uh, prohibitions that's inspired by data protection, uh, sometimes the GDPR specifically. First one, the prohibition to combine personal data from the core platform service with data from other services, absent any specific consent. Of course, another German parallel here with the Facebook case where Facebook was fine for combining data from WhatsApp with data from Instagram and data from Facebook itself across user profiles. So I guess that's a second parallel. Now, what's really interesting about this one to me is that they want to make it still possible to combine data with consent, but you can't use any of the other GDPR justifications, legitimate interest, contract, compatible further processing, So all the scope of legitimate processing that you can do under GDPR is removed. So that's why it's not just applying GDPR for business user data, right? It's also applying it. So even though GDPR is supposed to be like a human privacy right basis type of thing, 
applying it to a business is a little bit weird, but that's what the proposal is. But then on top of that, there's also this, okay, you can do it, but you need to get consent, which when you talk about the German case is interesting because in the German competition case against Facebook, they said, well, Facebook can't get effective consent because of its dominance. So question whether even that exception for combining data from core services will be available to gatekeepers if they're found dominant. And then there's the other one that is sort of a data portability requirement. That's the one that is expanding to business users, the same kind of data portability. Then we get into more familiar territories, so to say, some that are related to more traditional competition law theories of harm. We really get into territory where the the prohibitions from the DMA almost overlap well, very neatly with cases we've seen before. So first one that a lot of people will know is this prohibition on white price parity clauses, also called most favored nation clauses, so-called MFNs. And at least these wide ones would be prohibited by Article 5. And at least for hotel booking platforms, uh, those platforms already know for a long time that they've been prohibited, at least for in Booking.com, for Expedia. I've seen cases basically across the EU. I think there's been more than 10 of those. So that cannot come as a surprise and probably will not require a lot of change either. And then there's two, one on the prohibition on tying of identification services and one on the tying of core services. So these ones potentially related to the German investigation of Facebook's Oculus, which here's where you kind of start to see, okay, well, some of these cases are ongoing investigations. They're not even at the sort of infringement stage, but they're being used as templates for this regulation and being imposed as obligations without the checks that you would have under a competition enforcement case. They're getting the remedies without having to go through the steps in a way. These two things, in the German Oculus case, I guess the theory there is that why do you need to have a Facebook account to use an Oculus? There's some kind of a leveraging issue there that you're leveraging market power from one market into another market, even though that other market, the Oculus uh, VR headset market, is rather competitive which is why it's still being investigated and that's not an infringement yet, but it's part of the rules being proposed. There's another one, uninstallation rights, allowing end users to uninstall pre-installed applications of core platform services. That's sort of more like the Microsoft and the Russian Google case. And there's a couple more as well, no? You're right. And in this case, Microsoft, uh, that is at least a concluded case all the way up to the general courts. Like you said, having the ability to uninstall apps to multi-home, so not to prevent switching between the operating system or rather different software applications within that operating system, which was also something prevalent in Microsoft and Google Android. Self-preferencing, finally coming to that big category. Self-preferencing sort of runs through this whole DMA, or at least these prohibition articles, but it's very specific when it comes to ranking. And of course, uh, self-preferencing in ranking is something we know from Google Shopping, where you know Google gave a leg up to its own shopping service and search results. That would be prohibited here. Still on appeal. Still on appeal, yeah. <laughs> and so that same self-preferencing or non-discrimination, we also see for app stores. And that's even a step before, because that's just at the investigatory stage where potential discriminatory conditions are potentially abusive in the case of Apple's App Store, but that's already in there as well. That's like three investigations that, again, they won't need to finish those if they get these rules in place. 
then they get the remedy right away. Then there's a handful of other ones which we've discussed a little bit. You know, I think of them as kind of common carrier or public utility inspired. The idea that these are platforms, they're intermediaries that are not supposed to be active on markets. And in fact, they're just agents of their business users. They shouldn't be a player on the field. They should just be a referee. And they're not supposed to actually try to compete. And then some other ones, which gets back to what you were saying about trying to promote competition and create competition within these core platform services. So there's a prohibition on steering. That's uh, something you're familiar with, Frizo. Yeah, yeah. Steering, or rather, the anti-steering provisions. So allowing these business users to go around the platform, something that, well, Apple in particular does not allow for its uh, App Store transactions. You know, being Spotify, you can't tell your users, hey, just go visit my website so you can circumvent this App Store fee. And these anti-steering obligations of platforms would be prohibited under that Article 5C. So that would be another parallel with an ongoing competition investigation. And um, we're even going one step further when we're talking about app stores, and that's simply unbundling the OS from the app store. So, you know, again, continuing with the Apple example, we, we know that Apple does not allow any other app stores within iOS. Epic is currently trying to change that in a lot of jurisdictions, including the US and Europe. If the DMA comes true in this form, then, well, its cases would become moot because now Apple would be obliged to allow third-party app stores. That would be a real sea change. So I can see here this common carrier perspective of you. I think it also aligns with the observation from before that this, this really reminds me of telecommunications where interconnection, interoperability was really crucial, uh, interconnection between national networks, but also given by the incumbent two entrants that can now use its network to compete with the incumbent. So from that perspective, I can see the common carrier analogy. And I really don't like the comparison to telecoms because there's so many differences. I mean, these are not formerly state-owned, state-run, privileged. You know, they didn't have certain privileges given to them by the state as well, on top of all that, to develop their dominant positions. And, you know, what you're getting from one telecom operator, transfer of bits, voice communication, it's the exact same. There's no differentiation with the products and services. Whereas there's complete differentiation with every one of these platforms, but that might be a little bit at risk. And so that sort of removing them from that active player in competition, you see as well with this other one, the data non-compete, which says they can't use data to compete with any of their business users. That's from the Amazon investigation and potentially similar issues being explored against Facebook and Google, particularly with respect to advertising. And then there's this sort of free access to data for business users. So providing business users access to aggregated or non-aggregated data that is provided for or generated in the context of the use of the relevant core platform service. So basically, any data that is generated from the platform, from the use of that platform, the business user's use of that platform, that automatically goes free to the business user. There's no monetization opportunity for the platform. It kind of makes collecting that data, why collect that data if you have to provide it for free uh, to the business users? 
Well, if they wouldn't collect the data, that would solve two issues at once. They wouldn't have to give it to business users. <laughs> plus, they can rely on it in contravention of this other provision that uh, prohibits them from spying on their business users to know which products they have to make, etc. So it's also an option. It is an option, and it's a completely value-destructive option. But that's the approach taken in the DMA. I mean, there's a lot of value that's generated from using data. Business data, even, right? Like finding market opportunities, coming up with what kind of gaps there are in demand that people would be interested in. There's a report recently done by Oxera that goes into this. You know, there's examples of Netflix, how they came up with House of Cards or these uh, ghost kitchens that some food delivery operators are able to find unmet demand for certain cuisines in a location and because of using data. And that is going to be somewhat lost according to these DMA rules. But that's not even the worst one. To me, there's two that are really about this, as you said, creating competition. Now, the most interesting one is this Article 61F, which allows third-party providers of ancillary services access and interoperability to the same operating system, hardware, and software available or used by the gatekeeper for their own provision of ancillary services, which is basically saying... Whatever you build, you have to share. And again, there's a competition investigation here, which is Apple Pay. Um, so Apple has this near-field communication chip that allows you to tap and go, pay for stuff, but it's not sharing that with other payment providers, which have to use QR codes, which are a bit more unwieldy. So I guess that's the kind of conduct that would be prohibited here. Again, an ongoing investigation, of course. And it goes much further than that context as well. So it's all the hardware and software, and it's not just for the Apple ecosystem or the chip that Apple created, but any of these many core platform services and any potential gatekeeper that gets caught. And then there's the other one as well, a similar thing with search data that there has to provide FRAN access to ranking, query, click, and view data so that a rival to Google can be created. So that's the obligations and prohibitions. There's a subset that can also be applied to foreseeable gatekeepers. So we didn't go into this, but there is a way for the commission to designate gatekeepers even below the thresholds at their discretion. And there's a subset of these obligations, and including some of the most problematic ones, which is this hardware and software root access is there, free access to business data. And then there's the IMCO amendments on top, which would expand on the data access provisions there's a provision to completely disintegrate for a vertical search. So Google has to be just 10 blue links again. Uh, they can't combine any of their sort of other um, answering services into the main search page. There's this all core platform services should be treated as essential facilities and grant friend access to everything. So it's expanding this hardware and software root access. Uh, there's a broader anti-circumvention provision as well, so that it would cover anything that has the same object or effect as any of the other prohibitions. And there's also now opportunity for third parties to comment the specification of the uh, obligations if the commission were to choose to specify, which I think that does kind of make sense because I would like to see the commission get information from a wider range of sources when making its decisions. I mean, I think that's a good thing. But overall, there's a lot more uh, teeth to the rules. That is a lot of obligations and prohibitions. But 
so many questions remain. What are the defenses? How is the European Commission going to enforce all this? And is there a role for national authorities or courts? How about we answer all that in the next episode, Frizo? That sounds good. So thanks for listening, everyone, and hope to catch you for the final part of this DMA series.